because this reason I don't like life you know until now I don't want life I don't like but it's not on my hand I cannot kill myself because I am Muslim powerful words from an incredible woman mother wife and daughter she says that she would literally kill herself if she had a choice the only thing keeping her from committing suicide is her fate she's been tortured her infant son was killed she hasn't seen her husband in years has constant nightmares and has no one to rely on except herself Listen carefully. You can hear the desperation in her voice. Okay, it's okay, but I'm sorry also sometimes, you know. Like, I am not, like, not normal. Because as this all happens, this, I become sometimes, like, crazy, sometimes, like, nervous. Her story is just one of the thousands of stories by Uyghur women suffering at the hands of the Chinese government. Her name is Marigold Tursen. She lives in the United States and is caring for her two young children on her own while her husband lives thousands of miles away in a self-imposed exile. We'll take you on a journey from her humble beginnings in China through the torment and torture she faced for being a Muslim to live in the United States without any kind of support, praying she'll see her husband again. Her journey involves her child getting killed, nearly becoming the victim of genocide, international corruption, blackmail, the U.S. government, and even Facebook. This is a tough story to tell. It's an even tougher story to listen to. But we feel it's important to shine a light on what's happening in parts of China and possibly stop it from happening in the future. Thank you for listening to this very special Momming Well Muslim podcast. I'm Lizma Joffrey. And I'm Zeba Hassan. We've been working on this project for close to a year now. It's taken this long to secure the interviews and verify the information you're about to hear. We really want you to listen to Miracle's story. Understand that it's just one of tens of thousands of stories of abuse, torture, and genocide being committed against the Uyghur people in Xinjiang, China. That's where we want to start, Xinjiang, China. It is the so-called autonomous territory in northwest China. This area is massive. It's about 620,000 square miles, roughly about the size of Alaska. It borders Mongolia, Russia, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and India. The ancient Silk Road trade route snaked its way through the region. It connected China to the Middle East. Twelve million Muslims live in the area. They're called Uyghur. They're an oppressed ethnic minority in China. In fact, they were prevented from writing their own history. Most of what we know about them today comes from Soviet historians. Uyghurs speak their own language and in the early 20th century declared independence from China. The Chinese government squashed the revolt and took complete control of the region after the Chinese Revolution in 1949. 
there was another Uyghur uprising in the late 1980s and in the early 1990s. At about the same time, 1989 to be exact, Marigold Thurston was born in a small Xinjiang village. Marigold calls Xinjiang her homeland. Her mother died soon after childbirth, and her father remarried. Marigold spent most of the time at her grandparents' house in her rural village. Today, Marigold lives near our nation's capital. And as she sits in her suburban home, she tells us how she longs for her childhood when things were just more simple. We go to school, we don't have any transportation in our, our, our homeland. Very few people we see, he have bicycle, he gonna go to his bicycle. And then very, like, I didn't never see car going this place, like very few, maybe a month or two months, we see one car going to the street, you know. She enjoyed the wide open spaces of her village and she misses the animals. She really, really misses the animals. I make my homework at home. And then we sleep like eight or nine, <laughs> very early because it's no light in night. And then wake up every morning, like five, five thirty, we wake up. When chicken start cook, and we are all wake up. So we think, oh, chicken scream. So it's meaning it's morning coming, like, you know. <laughs> I grew up like this life. This episode is sponsored by Guidance Residential. Join Guidance this January 30th at 1130 Eastern Standard Time for a live and exclusive imam training, The Fundamentals of Sharia Law on Home Financing, a course taught in Arabic, exclusive for imams and masajid board who are often called on by Muslim American families to help them navigate their purchase of a halal home that's Sharia compliant. Check it out at guidanceresidential.com backslash resources backslash upcoming dash events. Marigold had a big family with lots of cousins. Lots and lots of cousins, in fact. Her paternal grandparents, the one with all those chickens, according to Marigold, had 34 children. 34? That's a lot of kids. It sounds like a topic for a whole nother podcast. But back to Marigold. She loved rural life. A lot of friends, family, and chickens. Looking back, Marigold was born during a pivotal moment in history. The world was changing, and China did all it could to stop that change in its country. I think it, you can't understand it with also understanding what was happening in late 1980s and then early 1990s with the fall of the Berlin Wall. Tear down this wall. Most of the Eastern European countries had forsaken socialism and had declared that they were establishing new, more liberal States, and then finally culminating with the dissolution of the Soviet Union. That is Dr. Sean Roberts. He's a professor of international affairs at George Washington University. He studied the conflict between the Uyghurs and the Chinese government for 30 years. He wrote a book on the subject, The War on the Uyghurs, China's Campaign Against Xinjiang's Muslims. Dr. Roberts says the Uyghurs experienced a roller coaster of ups and downs over the generations. Initially, after the revolution, we're talking about 1949. 
uh, the Chinese government was, you know, the Chinese communist government was very interested in attracting uh, Uyghur intellectuals and society leaders to be part of the Communist Party. At that time, they established a university um, on the basis of one that was already formed in Urumqi, um, where Uyghur language classes were taught. The roller coaster was at the top. There were uh, publishing of Uyghur language novels and histories and so on. Um, and that became much more tightly controlled, as I mentioned, after 1957. And then, of course, by the mid-1960s, the Cultural Revolution kind of ceased any kind of culture production. The roller coaster hit bottom and then headed back up in the early 1980s. Some even called it the Golden Age of the Uyghurs. They also allowed Uyghurs to record music, to produce films and plays, to open mosques, and even to open religious schools. Uyghurs felt that they were able to express their culture and to even, you know, kind of produce their culture in new forms. But that ultimately changed. China looked around in the late 1980s and early 1990s. The government didn't want what was happening in other places to happen in its country. In China's eye, something had to be done. It started what some might consider a soft crackdown. In the ethnic areas, especially the Uyghur region and the Tibetan regions, were seen as potentially damaging to the unity of the People's Republic of China. You know, after looking at the Soviet Union dissolve into 15, 16 different states, they could see that that was a possibility. Hey listeners, Mommy One Muslim is bringing you yet another retreat. In fact, our retreats have birthed their own name now, Fill Up Your Cup Retreats, or F-U-Y-C. We're kind of proud of that one. Women carry everything for everyone all of the time, and we know we can't pour from an empty cup. So we've curated an F-U-Y-C retreat in Dallas, Texas, this February 17th through the 19th at a private retreat center, the theme being introspection in seclusion. We have limited beds available for the entire weekend experience, including room, board, and activities fostering introspection. That is being okay, being alone with just ourselves, such as yoga, vicar circles, guided meditations, spa services, hijama, and of course, in the company of women who are doing the same thing alongside us, filling up their cups by loving the space they fill and embracing their God-given missions, whatever those might be. We expect attendees will find both there. Can't stay the whole weekend, but crave some time to recharge and repurpose yourself? Get a day pass that also includes food and activities for the day. And of course, all attendees get some practical and fancy swag to take home and hopefully continue filling their cups. See y'all there. Miragol was about 10 years old when she was offered what she considered an opportunity to attend junior high and high school in what she considers, quote unquote, China. It was a big deal. Uh, when I when I came into 10 years from the um, middle school and the high school university, I studied in China because in my um, study degree is so good in my city. So it's it's kind of start from 20, uh, 2001. The Chinese government take exam from our homeland, all Uyghur students. I am getting the first one in our homeland, uh, getting the exam so good. So the Chinese government taking to me to China 
special education by the government special education I study in China bigger schools bigger cities and more resources there were a lot of differences and she admits she was a bit homesick have computer have TV everything but I also I, I miss this uh, very poor home very village but I, I miss this place one sheep give the baby and this baby cannot walk in I give him walk in and I give him open his mouth give him milk you know like baby I <laughs> I will grow up like that and that's where she got her education from elementary school middle school high school and some college but she also says this opportunity opened the door for brainwashing part of the soft crackdown this is actually it's a chinese government have start to for uyghur people they want like to ch- try to change uyghur people not study with uyghur language uyghur history and uh, they want uh, like uh, from something start to test for uyghur student that time only from our homeland they take more than 50 student uyghur student to, to move to China from, from actually from home, our homeland to China. The soft crackdown was apparently taking too long. So in 2008, when Mirgol was just 16 years old, the Chinese government began its all-out assault on the Uyghur people. Her homeland, Xinjiang, erupted in violence, and Uyghurs across China were being rounded up, including Mirgol. She was literally plucked from her classroom in front of all of her classmates. I told the police, I don't know anything. Why Why I am this? Why only me? After eight days, I stay in the police station. I ask police, I am also Chinese and you are also Chinese. Why you don't ask from another student? Why only me? Because he told me, because you are Uyghur, because you are from Xinjiang. So that time I understand there are discrimination for us. It's happened all the time. That was the first time Miracle would be in handcuffs. But it wouldn't be the last. She decided right then and there she would get out of China. She traveled to Egypt to continue her college education, fell in love, had triplets, was living what she described as a good life. Miracle would travel back to China to introduce her triplets to their grandparents. And that's when her life would fall apart. So when they take me to outside... And they pushed me inside car because I have my black hood in my head. I cannot see anything. My face pushed the car back and the, my nose is broken. Start blood coming. I want to scream. I want to speak. I cannot speak because they stabbed my mouth. In the next episode of this very special podcast series, Momming While Muslim, Marigold returns to China where she is tricked, tortured, her child is killed, and decisions are made that will change the course of her life forever. They give me death sentences. I have three options for die. A two option, I don't need to pay anything. So I told them anything, whatever you like, you can kill me. It's a story you need to hear. That's on our next episode of this very special podcast series by Momming While Muslim. <laughs>